the Health Chat listeners. I'm your host this week, Justine Absom. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice across health and social care. This week, I'm talking to Anthony Hall. Anthony is the Director of Insights, Assurance and Governance at HC1, the UK's largest elderly residential care provider, which has over 300 care homes and provides positive, personalised care and support to 14,000 residents. So this week, I'm chatting to him about his previous role with CQC, and we want to understand more about how he transferred his skills from one side to the other, where where he is now. Um, So thanks again for joining us this week, Anthony. Great to be here. Thanks, Justine. So I've just mentioned very briefly that we, we want to talk a little bit about CQC today, you know, about why your relationship with them is, is so important and how that will help care providers learn and improve. So you used to work for the Care Quality Commission. Can you let us know a little bit about what you did there and how different it is going from the regulatory body side to being inspected as an organisation? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I spent 10 years at CQC and it, so it was a really important part of my career and my life. And um, I started as an inspector uh, and I inspected, uh, you know, countless numbers of care homes uh, and, and domiciliary care providers uh, in the sort of Lincolnshire area predominantly. And then I moved over to become uh, what's called an inspection manager, which was, you know, running a, a team of inspectors. And it was at that time the commission, you know, widened its scope away from just social care inspections to, to GPs, dental and, and secondary care. So I got quite heavily involved in all of that uh, um, um, kind of arrangements. Um, and I was also at the time when uh, the chief executive changed to, to and Sir David Bean came in and developed the whole ratings framework, which was all around quality improvement. And so I was quite heavily involved with that. I think towards the second half of my time at CQC, I worked, uh, I had the great pleasure of working directly for Professor Steve Field, who was the Chief Inspector of Primary Care. Uh, and I worked very closely with him on developing the whole primary care inspection structure and how that whole methodology came together. And as we developed that, we, we then started to branch into how we could really sort of regulate and inspect the whole integrated care agenda as that was coming together. And the last part of my career at CQC, that's what I was doing. I was the head of inspection for London and I was very much tasked with trying to work out how we could do regulatory inspections and quality improvement work across a whole wide range of providers, social care, primary care and secondary care, as well as independent care. So um, really interesting time at CQC. So that gave me a really good grounding, I think, to come over to provider land um, and and see it from a different lens. And and I think it's been really fascinating for me because I think uh, I've been reflecting about the 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 actions and the, the the regulatory approach that I used to take at CQC, how that impacts in in a, a provider and how a provider reacts to that has been really fascinating actually. So it gave me a really good grounding to to join a company the size of HC1 to to understand how just you know we can work better together to get improvement for residents. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously you mentioned there that you weren't just involved in, in sort of CQC for, for care providers either. There's such a huge range across across health and social care. So I guess having that background in in sort of and the knowledge in, in the other areas as well um, helps you to drive that improvement and, and the quality that you, you want to do at HC1 as well. 
Well, that's, yeah, because that's really important because you can't see social care in isolation. And I think sometimes historically social care has seen itself as a, as a silo. And actually, you know, the, wor the world that we now work in is very, very different. And we really do need to understand how primary care, secondary care and other providers work together in a system to, to actually improve, uh, you know, resident patient care. And, and that's part of, not just about how people transfer between different care providers and different parts of the health and social care sector. It's also how the data flows. It's how we use information to improve outcomes. It's how we look at health inequalities across that wider system. And social care plays a massive role in that. And uh, But so for me, uh, it's really important that you understand how all those bits of the system work so that, you know, we can you know, stand up to our responsibility to try and, uh, you know, move patients and residents through the system uh, uh, to the, 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 the optimum way, really, I think. Yeah. So how have you transferred your skills across from, from CQC to, to sort of that understanding the importance of driving that, that quality of care at HC1? So I think Apart from sort of the in-depth technical knowledge around regulation and how the regulatory function works, and I think that's really important because I'm the nominated individual for HC1, so I'm, I'm sort of the accountable person to CQC and does uh, and do all that sort of front-facing relationship with CQC. And you do need to have a, a degree of technical regulatory knowledge to be able to do that. Um, but overwhelmingly, though, the, the key thing that I've been able to bring across is the understanding about how the ratings work. And ratings are not just an arbitrary kind of thing. They are actually where they're originally designed to drive quality improvement. Because when I first joined CQC, it was all about compliance. And you were either compliant or not compliant with the regulations. And when the ratings framework came in, it was all about trying to... Um, foster an improvement culture and focusing around not just the fundamental safety standards in regulation, but actually how you can drive improvement forwards. And I think that I was so heavily involved at CQC in developing that ratings framework. And I really understand that, you know, if you can embody what those characteristics of the ratings are, then you can really understand how you can drive improvement forwards and what quality actually is. And quality is not compliance. Quality is something quite different. And I, I often find it interesting when I talk to operators or talk to other providers, of how many of us have actually read what, what those ratings are, how they are arrived at, what the characteristics behind those ratings are. And actually, there's very few people actually understand what, how, how those ratings are put together and what the expectation is around them. So um, I think if you can really understand that, you can then start to move quality forward. I think that's it, isn't it? Because if you don't understand what the ratings really mean behind them and you're just literally looking at that, that one word or two words that it does, then you can't understand what you need to do to drive the quality improvement. It is all about improvement and providing the best quality of care at the end of the day, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And you hear a lot of people say, I think this home is good. Um, but CQC of rate it requires improvement, for example. But actually, we need to understand why that is the case. Why have the rated it requires improvement? It's not just some sort of arbitrary, subjective, 
decision the inspectors made, actually they're working within an assessment framework and they're using the characteristics of the ratings to understand why that services requires improvement. So you do need to understand what that, that is and you do need to understand what that is so that you can know how to improve. Um, and, and I think that um, a lot of, you know, my top tip to all providers is make sure you understand what, what the ratings framework is and what, you know, what the syllabus is, as it were, you know, and, and then that can help you drive the improvement forwards as well. I think one of the things that um, that I was when when we sort of talked, we've talked before about um, something that you, that you'd mentioned, which I found really interesting, was you're really passionate about having that good relationship with CQC and actively sharing information with them, which we know not everybody wants to share information. So, how does HC One evidence everything that that you're doing to to sort of keep your residents safe and and to make sure that you're sort of following that um, those strategies and the, and the aims that they have in place? So working with a regulator, and, and we work with three regulators, you know, across the three countries we operate in, and, and they're all, we work on the same principle. Reg, working with a regulator is about assurance. It's about providing the regulator with assurance. And that has to be a continual part of, of your work. It can't just be waiting for an inspection and then seeing what the outcome is and then providing evidence to, to either challenge it or, or or an action plan to address the, the issues you have to do this on an ongoing basis and provide the regulator with assurance now as the regulator is now moving to sort of some more remote monitoring as opposed to just relying on physical inspection that's even more important and this is about talking to inspectors this is about talking to the inspection managers the people it's about engagement at a very strategic level in the commission to talk to them about what you're doing as a company, what your workforce strategy is, what your um, you know quality strategy is, what your approach to the management of your homes and the challenges, what your strategy in the future is around you know your your portfolio of homes. It, there's that sort of level of conversation, and then there's a conversation about let's show you, let's be really transparent, let's be really transparent with you. I always recall that um, when we developed a new uh, internal framework for quality assurance it, back in November 2020, and we came up with a whole sort of a really granular view that we would do internal assessments around 24 elements, and we'd rate each one of those 24 elements. So we'd have a real granularity of all the areas we needed to improve. We did that exercise and we, we did a, a whole as internal assessments um, for all of our homes. And the chief executive and myself, we actually showed CQC the outcome of all of that. And people kind of said to us, are you mad? Are you actually going to show the regulator where your failings are and where you needed to improve? And we said, absolutely we are. And we went through all of these 24 elements and we showed them exactly where our homes were. And we actually showed them that, you know, there were a substantial number of homes in particular areas that needed to improve. And actually, the, the, the result of that has been a high level of assurance by the Commission that, A, we know where our challenges are and we have that granularity and we understand what, uh, what the issues are. And then we're able to articulate the journey about how we're going to improve those issues. So transparency is absolutely key. 
And we're, we're working with the Commission at the moment to try and, you know, and as we develop our work with Radar Healthcare, is to, to give them access to this stuff. We want to give them access to our systems. We want to give them access as we move forward with digital care planning to our digital care planning systems. In the same way that GP inspectors can access uh, GP systems remotely, we want to give them that transparency so that they can gain assurances about the work that we're doing to address uh, our, you know, where we've got you know, areas that we need to improve. And it, it goes back to what you mentioned at the at the beginning about ratings and the fact that ratings are there to improve things. And, you know, the, the CQC are not there to catch people out. You know, they're there to, to make sure residents are safe and, and actually have that best quality of care. And I think, you know, from the CQC side and the care provider side, or whichever organisation is, is being inspected, you know, the resident or the patient's, you know, well-being is always at the heart of it. But I think sometimes, like, they can almost forget that when there's so many other steps I guess in involved in things um so I think having that that positive working relationship together and you know nobody's perfect so actually showing those areas where you do want to improve can never be a bad thing no absolutely and I you know the amount of times when I was at CQC, as a certainly as a head of inspection, you 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 review all the challenges that come in from providers, whether that's through formal representations or or, or just other letters of complaint, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and I used to see providers that had had a uh, a regulatory decision or an inspection or a piece of enforcement placed on them, and they would engage. You know, solicitors, they would spend hours and hours and awful lots of money challenging the commission's decision. And when you're sat in CQC, you're sat there going, why don't you just fix the issue? Why why are you spending all this, expending all this energy and money challenging this? Why don't you just sort the problem out? And 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 that's my approach in HC1. Actually, yes, we have some, you know, uh, outcomes from CQC that aren't where we want them to be. But we're not going to stand there and challenge them. And we're not going to stand and spend a lot of energy doing that. We're actually going to understand what the issue is, work with the inspector to find out what the what the actual issues are and how we can improve that service. And that's where we put our energy, not into you know, challenging all the time. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's the that's a, a great way to look at it, without a doubt. So, um, going back to obviously the strategy side, and and obviously you know we know the CQC are, are sort of in the process of launching the the new strategy. So, what's your thoughts on this, and how do you think that will help deliver improvement um, when it comes to the quality of care for residents or patients? I think I think this is a really important moment. Um, I mean, I've been when I was in CQC, I've been through a couple of methodology changes and. Um, and I also saw that providers were very anxious or or quite uneasy about it. And I think the reality is that you know there are you know there are it, there is those tensions at the moment in the health and social care sector about really trying to feel you know comfortable about CQC's new approach about you know how the intelligence driven approach, the remote monitoring approach, less reliance on physical inspection activity. Um, but I think let's not challenge it and let's not be anxious about it. Let's embrace the opportunity because I think there's huge opportunities here. Um, I mean, if you look at CQC's approach around, for example, its quality statements, 
So, and it's I and we statements. They're really powerful pieces of work that we can embrace and use to, uh, you know, improve our own journey because actually it's about seeing it through the resident's eyes. And then CQC's, you know, aspiration to use more intelligence and stuff. Well, I know there's anxiety in the sector about, well, what is this intelligence? What have they got? How are they going to rank it? How are they going to risk rate all that? But actually let's work with them to say, well, we can give you more information than you currently have. And with that will then allow you to have the context around that intelligence to give you an even better view. So I think there's great opportunities here. And I think what we need to do as CQC goes through this transformation is do less challenge, less and feel less anxious about it and say to CQC, let's work with you to get this to be the best it can possibly be. Because if their aspiration is to see it more through the resident experience or the patient experience, that's got to be the best thing uh, because that's what it's all about. Yeah, exactly. Going back to, you know, they, they are at the heart of it all at, at the end of the day, aren't they? So, you know, it's it needs to be them at the forefront. Absolutely. I mean, people who, who work with me in HC1 know, uh, know me quite well, but whenever we talk about a piece of work or, or anything we're doing on a day-to-day basis, I only ask one question, what's in it for the resident? And if there isn't anything for the resident, I don't actually see there's any reason that we have a conversation about it because, and that might be in two or three years time, or it might be more immediate than that. But if there's no outcome positive for a resident, there's absolutely no point doing it in my view. Yeah, and I think it's so easy, isn't it, sometimes to get tied up in just the day-to-day stuff, but actually having that the, that question constantly in, in the back of your head is, is probably a really good way to look at it. Absolutely, yeah. So obviously, you know, we, we know health and social care at the moment is is in crisis. Um, it's it's such a big talking topic across across everyone, really. Um, how do you think we can start and improve this and, and ultimately start and increase the quality of care where, where we can? So, yeah, I mean, it's obvious, you know, to help to all that, you know, uh, all of health and social care is, is under significant pressure and, and the social care sector in particular. I think, you know, we've got the challenges of, of workforce, we've got the challenges of post-COVID and we're still trying to recover from um, the, the, the terrible couple of years that we've all experienced. Um, and I, I think with the key challenge for, for all of us is, is the workforce. And, and, and I think that's not just about attracting people to work in social care, it's about retaining them once they're here. And I think the work that we're focusing on in HC1, I think it's really important to, to because fundamentally, you people are, are what drives quality, you know, and uh, we have three pillars in our strategy and, and it's called our purpose in action, but our strategy is firstly people, then quality and then performance. So our, our, our whole mantra is let's get the right people, let's reward them, let's develop them, let's give them a professional career in social care. That will drive quality. And then once you get the quality right and you're driving quality improvement, performance in terms of commercial success will follow. Where providers often go wrong is they focus on the commercial success and, and try and drive the people and the quality afterwards but actually you need to get these fundamental building blocks in place so for me to drive quality you need to get people you need to have enough people to to deliver care 
you then need to reward them and you need to pay them competitively so that they you know they are feeling that they're being uh, recognized for the very difficult work that this is you then need to develop people you need to completely not just give them pieces of mandatory training but actually give them a growth in the company and reward them for that growth and develop them in the company so you kind of professionalize the sector and i think this is really important and you know so when people join a company that you then think about well how can you grow in this company so that you can start as a carer and you can end up as a registered manager or, or, or something else. And I think that's incredibly important. So that's about your sort of nursing apprenticeships, your nursing associate programs. It's about how you develop uh, carers to become nurses if they wish to be or to become senior carers. Or, you know, we have a, we've got a nursing associate program, a, a nursing apprenticeship program. We've got a aspiring home manager program so that carers and others can grow into those roles. And then you, then you retain your workforce because one of the real problems that social care has is that it can attract workers, but it can't retain them. So we've got to retain them because if you retain them, then you get the continuity of care and you get a better outcome for your residents. I think that's so important as well. I think, you know, you think about any business and people going into it and, you know, everybody wants to develop, everybody wants to to be the best version of themselves, I guess, in within their work, whatever whatever career that is. And I do think it's when you hear about social care in particular talked about, um, you know, in the media and, and anywhere else, you never hear it being talked about as a career. You, you sort of hear it being talked about as, it, it, it's a job as a carer, for example. It's, you know, we know people see it as a vocation and, and that's incredible. But I think for people to understand that actually it's a, it's such a good career to have um, and to kind of, yeah, like you've just said, professionalise it more is is so important. Absolutely. And I, I, I think you're absolutely right, Justine, that, you know, when you see outside and you hear people talk, they don't talk about social care as a career. But... But that's where we need to develop it because, you know, and I use that term professionalize it. That's what we need to do. And it's whether and that doesn't matter if you're a, a, a nurse that's, you know, in a professional development structure by the fact that you're a registered nurse. But I'm also talking about the carers. I'm talking about the people who work in the kitchen. I'm talking about the maintenance. I'm talking about, you know, the administration in the homes. All of that needs to be thought of as, as a profession and a career that we can grow people with. So that, you know, if you might start as a kitchen assistant, for example, on 12 hours a week in the kitchen, what's to stop you moving into a caring role? What's to stop you combining those roles? What's to stop you then moving to getting a nurse qualification if you wish to be a nurse? Or what's to stop you becoming a deputy home manager or a home manager? Nothing can stop you, but you've got to create the structure for allow that to happen. And that's through pay banding structures. It's through in having growth conversations that we call them in our homes, uh, rather than an appraisal. We call them a growth conversation about how can you grow, how can you add value to the home, and ultimately then how can you improve the resident care. So all of this goes back to what I said a few moments ago is actually what's in it for the resident. Well, what's in it for the resident in this case is having 
a a workforce that is 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 going to be continual it's going to be there all the time we get that continuity of care but you've got a workforce that's invested in their own futures because it's a proper career yeah and it's it's the continuity of care obviously as well for the resident but also it's it's that creating relationships with your residents as well you know it's especially for residents that maybe don't have families and and people that visit them regularly to have sort of you know regular carers and you know people that they see all the time they develop relationships with as well so again that's another element of of the importance of retaining your workforce i think well absolutely because you've hit the nail on the head really because fundamentally human beings are social and we need interactions with people and i think we always have to remind ourselves that actually we're privileged in the work that we do because we're actually this is people's homes this is their life. It's quality of life. You know, I talk a lot of in, in Tide HC1 about not about quality, but quality of life, because we need to keep focusing on that, that we're actually, this is people's homes. This is their lives. And therefore, just because they come into a care home, they don't stop wanting that social interaction. That's hugely important. And, and actually, quite a lot of negative regulatory outcomes from CQC are often based on that lack of interaction because it's a task-driven process. Actually, let's focus it back on the, the community that a care home is. And it is a community. It's a small community where people develop relationships and they need that constant set of interactions. And imagine a scenario if you were in a, uh, um, a care home or a hotel or whatever, and, and the people you were dealing with constantly change and you don't know who they are, you, you, you haven't built those relationships, it's very, very difficult. And we can make such a difference to our residents' lives if we keep the same people with that same level of interaction constantly. Yeah, without a doubt, I think that's a, a really strong thing to, to take away from this. Um, I think going back to that that quality of life and, and your people trying to drive improvement and, and things like that, when you were at the CQC, was there anything, sort of any common things that you saw on a regular basis that care providers could fix fairly easily? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always, um, I think there's always frustration when you're a CQC inspector, when you go into a care home about some kind of things that you just expect that should be there. So medicines is a big issue, I think. And I'm not talking necessarily about, you know, the technicalities of administering the right medicine at the right time, which is hugely important, but actually just stupid things that providers do all the time, like leaving the medicines room unlocked, not disposing of medicines properly, not checking them in properly, not dating boxes or, 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 or bottles as you should do. Really kind of simple things. Fridge temperatures, which just drive everybody mad because people don't lock them correctly. And, uh, and, and those sort of real sort of basic things. Um, but fundamentally, when, when I did um, uh, inspection activity, we used a tool called SOFI, which was the short observational framework for inspection, which was developed by Bradford University. And it's all about interaction of people. And um, we've just introduced it into HC1, into our assessment framework. And I know CQC are reintroducing it as, as you know, and reinvigorating it inside CQC as also. It's so, and that tool allows you to monitor the interactions that your staff have with people. And it's that thing about, you know, if, if, if a resident's walking down a corridor 
do the staff just walk past them because they're dealing they're going to deal with a task somewhere and they don't talk to them is it when they go into the lounge you know and offer them a drink that they they don't talk to them they just say here's a cup of tea you know and those interactions are hugely important and i think as an inspector i used to get very frustrated when i sat in a communal area or in the dining room or just you know walking around a corridor and i didn't see the staff interact with people and that makes such a huge difference i think i imagine it makes a, a massive difference in the feel as well and the the kind of yeah how just how it comes across as like you mentioned before it is a home um yeah. so i can imagine just having that it almost uplifts the whole atmosphere as well. Yeah, because you used to, you know, I always talk about that you, you can get a sense from a care home the moment you walk in it. In the same way, we make judgments the way, the moment we walk into a hotel, the moment we walk into a restaurant. We all make those judgments. Oh, this feels nice. This looks good. This, I think I'm going to be, you know, I'd like to have a meal here. I'd like to stay here for the night. And it's the same in a care home. You get that feel the moment you walk in. And, and I think, and often, you know, the better outcomes regulatory weren't in the, the, the five-star glossy, recently refurbished care homes because they didn't have the right atmosphere. Actually, mm. I used to give better regulatory outcomes, I think, in, in buildings that potentially you might think were a little bit tired and needed some refresh. But actually, the atmosphere in the home and the homely environment was very, very different. And, and, and they were the best care homes. Uh, you know, and so, and I think that's what we need to focus on as well, because just having a glossy building that's fabulous, and, and that is important, and I don't think for many it isn't, but you, if you don't get that staff interaction right, and then focusing around the quality of life for the resident, then, you, you, you know, you're not going to get that homely atmosphere, you know, and I think, let's just go back to, you know, I know it's very old fashioned, but the mum's test. Would this be good enough for my mum? Would I want my mum to live here? Would my mum be happy here? If you focus it through that lens, then you know it 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 takes you to the place you need to be. Yeah, but it becomes a motive again, doesn't it? Which mm. is is something that's so important. So we've talked a little bit earlier about transparency for um, for between care providers and um, NCQC. So is there any, have you got any advice or tips on, on what else care providers could do to create a more open dialogue of communication with their CQC inspectors and how they can share best practice? I think, I think I, I know, and I can see this from my experience in CQC as well, I think is that you need to be proactive about it. You know, um, of course, your local inspectors or your local inspection teams will contact you when there's a problem or a, a concern that they have. But actually, just before that, you know, I encourage all of our home managers to to make their contact with their inspectors, you know, and invite them to either come in or have a call. Just build that relationship and work with them constantly, and in a in a really sort of way that you don't need to be fearful of. And don't wait for CQC to, to receive a piece of information and then ask you about it. You, so if something happens in a home, and things always happen in homes that, you know, um, are you know, not where you'd want them to be, contact the inspector, you know. Um, I mean, some things obviously you have to notify because it's a, a requirement to do so. But actually just talk to them, 
you know, and and explain what's going on in your home. They will, and they will get a lot of assurance from that. But you have to be proactive about it, and you know, contact the the, the inspector. For those people who are sort of a, a more corporate level, then contact the heads of inspection. Contact the you know, right at the top of the tree and, 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 and do that and talk to them and build those relationships. You know, so uh, I, I, you know, across our, you know, we've got 280 homes registered with CQC in England. And, and you know, quite often I'm on the phone to inspectors, I, you know, and it's, you know, and I just talk to them about, what's going on in our homes or they talk to me about what's going on in our homes and and quite often they'll just come to me as the NI and just say Anthony you know we uh, how's it going in this home you know they'll just drop me an email or we've heard something about this home what's your take on it and and we've got that relationship that means we don't have to get into a regulatory situation we can just build those relationships but it needs to be at all levels in the company and just go out there and build them because I, I, I can assure you the CQC inspectors will really appreciate it. I think that's a that's a great point to to end on as well. I think this this episode has been has been really informative for for our listeners, which is great. At the end of every episode, we ask everybody what their what the health tech moment is. Um, so it's just about listening to lots of weird and wonderful and lovely stories from from across the industry. So Anthony, what's your health tech moment? Okay, thank you. I've just given this some thought because um, I think every day there's, there's there's things that absolutely just blow me away. I've just been, this is really quite simple. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of got these sort of little obsessions every now and again. And one of my current obsessions is about making sure people have enough to drink and, and making sure they're fully hydrated. And, and that's a real challenge. And it's a real challenge in the sense of knowing how much people have drunk and uh, with that, you know. And one of my homes came to me and said, Anthony, we've just bought these smart water bottles. And I, and I sort of knew about these because uh, I, I, a relative of mine had one of these once. And, and I thought, hang on a minute, let's, let's really work out how we could use this. And, and in a couple of our homes, we've bought these smart water bottles and they've got a little chip in the bottom of them that measures the weight of the water. And... And we can just track it on people's phones at how much they've had to drink each day. And also we can track whether they've picked the bottle up or not. And we can also track whether the bottle's fallen over. Just really simple, doesn't cost a lot of money, but actually we've been to really been able to demonstrate that these people are drinking much more each day and how they're not picking the bottle up. So we go and encourage them to have a drink. And it's made such a difference. And already in about a month, it's made a difference to how people's well-being is in that home. And the whole, you know, we talked about the atmosphere. Actually, it's incredible that once people are getting enough hydration, the the, the change in, in the atmosphere and the change in how much they want to talk and interact with people. So I think that was just a, you know, an incredible thing that's it's you know just a really quite simple piece of technology which can really make such a difference oh that's amazing like you said the the power of a small piece of technology and how that can that like you just said how it can make a difference yeah. and we all focus the, on the big the big ticket technology stuff you know like you know uh, all the powerful stuff that radar can do all the powerful stuff that eco solutions can can do but 
but actually there's some really simple stuff out there you know and uh and every day i see more and more of it that we can just embrace you know and uh i think you know i also talked once before about our uh, you know people using amazon alexas to to call the kitchen and ask for a drink to be brought up to them um, and and I, I thought that was just fantastic because why can't people have a drink when they want to have a drink? And, and you know, and why can't they request for it if they're, if they're in the room on the third floor, you know, and they, they, they don't feel able to go and get a drink themselves? Why can't they request it? And why should they have to wait, press a call bell and wait for that to be answered when actually they could just use a simple bit of tech that we've all got in our homes to just ask for it, you know? Yeah, it's it's using technology in the right way, basically, isn't it, to absolutely. to make that difference to to somebody's quality of life again? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you very much for for today, Anthony. It's it's been an absolute pleasure to to chat to you as always. Um, thank you everyone else for joining us this week, um, and thank you for listening. Join us again next week for another new episode, um, and don't forget to rate and subscribe. And if you have any questions for us or our guests, please email what the health tech at radarhealthcare.com.